0: And that brings us to 9 a.m. on the nose. And welcome to Community Pulse on this Tuesday, the 14th of July. As a reminder, you can catch Community Pulse live here on KOPN Monday through Thursdays at 9 a.m. All episodes are then uploaded to our website, kopn.org. You can also find them on our Facebook profile and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the program, we have a highly salient topic, numbers, on the discussion docket this morning. Indeed, uh, as our listeners are well aware, to the informed news consumer, a proper understanding of the numbers can definitely serve to enlighten. To a hyperbolic headline writer, they can make for a lovely sensationalist uh, piece of online clickbait, but that ultimately serves no one. There are plenty of numbers on our program here to discuss how we separate those numbers from the popular colloquial categorization, popularized by Mark Twain, by the way, of lies, damn lies, and statistics. We have Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. We're going to be discussing a whole range of statistics this morning, including increasing new cases, active cases, numbers in quarantine, the crucial r not metric, hospitalizations, number of tests, percent positives. Oh boy, do we have a lot. Good morning, Dr. Allman, Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. I um, want to admit that I went down a rabbit hole of uh, data, and so um, I'm realizing I wasn't quite prepared to have all my websites up to do the numbers, but I think I'm loading them fine. So, to go through numbers, we're going to be talking about numbers. So, um, worldwide, uh, 13 million cases, 576,000 people have died, 7.5 million people recovering. In the United States, we're up to um, 3,480,000 cases, with 138,000 deaths, uh, and 1.5 million people recovering. Um, And then, let's see if I can find Matthew Holloway's data. Do I have it up? I don't. Oh, yes, I do. Look at that. Um, so we're at the 30,000 cases in Missouri with uh, 789 um, uh, new cases identified yesterday. And we have, there seems to be this running, this, this uh, rotating, not even rotating, uh, almost random number generator of which county is leaving the percentage increases of cases in the last 24 hours. So for a long time, it was the three cases down the, the three counties down the Southwest of the state. And now it's Cedar County, Marion County, and Randolph County. So Randolph County is Moberly. Oh, now I'm forgetting. Marion County, I think is Marionville and Cedar County. Oh, I can't remember. One of those counties is the Hannibal area. The other one is um, Northwest of St. Louis. So we are um, – I'm having to learn my Missouri geography by trying to follow where the hotspots are. And I think that that's that's another trend I want to talk about is that um, initially this was something that we could talk about hotspots. And now I think this is really a much more dispersed uh, pandemic, which is what um, the epidemiologists predicted. Um, And then in Boone County, we're up to 764 cases. We have had a third death in Boone County, and it was someone in that I can't remember, 45 to 54 age group, so not somebody we would really like to think of as high risk, especially those of us who are in that age group or even older than that age group. Um, And we have um, increasing numbers of active cases sort of on um, an ongoing basis, so... um, Trying to plot out the numbers, uh, we're over 300 active cases. Those are people who are testing positive and who have been identified, and we know that. And the health department is now calling those people on a regular basis to make sure that they're doing okay and seeing if they need any help to stay isolated and also interacting with their, tracing their contacts. And we have um, close to. 500 people in uh, quarantine as contact. So that's over 800 people for the Columbia uh, Boone County Health Department to be staying in contact with. And all of those other state uh, counties around the state are, are similarly being uh, sort of pushed to their limits about what they can do. So those are sort of the recent. Um, numbers. Oh, and the other number that I think that we're all interested in is numbers of testing, and I think we're running in the five to 600 uh, uh, numbers of tests on a daily basis. I think those numbers are probably going to increase while people are much more interested in being tested now. And um, the percent positive, we had been running around 2% positive um, and now we're running more close to 15 to 16 percent positive, which is a very worrisome trend. It means we're cases. So I'm wondering, Peter, if there are other um, numbers that you're following that you're—I I can't keep any of these numbers in my head anymore—but I'm wondering what you're what you're looking at.
0: Well. Um... I think that what's important during this pandemic, I've been looking at Matthew Holloway's numbers because I believe that these are the numbers that I I, I check every morning to see uh, how we're doing locally. Now, of course, I'm a uh, macro uh, interested individual. So I follow the uh, before I even check the local ones and I don't advocate that anyone else does this. I do check the national numbers. I check numbers around the world. I'm from uh, Europe originally, so I check the number of new cases and and things like that in, in Europe as well. Um, and the most important thing, I think, to, for me, <clears throat> I mean, we have all of these statistics. You, you spoke about all of these statistics. Mm-hmm. It's important to put all of them in, contact, uh, in context. You say, I mean, right now in uh, Boone County, you've put together a lovely chart that's, you know, saying that we're running at 16% positive. That is 16% positive of those who have gotten a test. Mm-hmm. It's all too easy to confuse that with, say, 16% positive countywide, which is not the case.
1: Right. Obviously, that is not true. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, we're, you know, if we've got 300 active cases and we've got 180,000 people, we're way less than one tenth of positive.
0: Precisely. Um, Yeah. The R naught metric, which is, is such a popular one. Uh, That also needs to be put into context, obviously. Now, this is perhaps you could explain better than I can uh, this this metric.
1: Um, You know, I do. I am not going to say that I could give a lecture on it, but I'm going to do my best. Uh So the r naught is a uh, characteristic of the illness um, and in context. And it basically is if I given an average person who gets the disease, how many people do they infect? And I think r not refers to the fact that, like, what if we don't intervene? What's going to happen if we don't intervene? And so it's a quality of the virus, and it's where it is that it's, like, so in a nursing home, you're going to have a different r not than you are in, say, um, I don't know, you know, a public park. Precisely. Um, but And then there's there's other ways to talk about R-values, but it's basically looking at how many people get infected by one person who has it. And then we're looking also at R-values once we've intervened. So what happens to an R-value if we, say, put it in a mask ordinance or if we close down bars and restaurants? Um, and that is going to change the R-values um, sort of real time. Well, so You can
0: insert that anywhere. It's essentially a transmission rate, and you want it at 1.0 right. or below. Uh, right. But say and we the lower
1: to, you can get it, the better.
0: Exactly. And if you yeah. were to apply the R not to say a specific meat packing plant, uh, you'll have an incredibly high one. If you're to right. apply it to um, countywide statistics, statewide statistics, even nationwide statistics, it will be diluted. Uh, it almost uh, it won't matter that it's at 1.2, 1.4, something like this, so long as the number of new cases is small. So I, right. I brought that up to illustrate the fact that for me personally, the, the number of new cases uh, is extremely important. That shows uh-huh. me how, uh, <clears throat> how many active cases we have in a given area. And it's important to note that this is rising in Missouri. It's rising in Boone County. It's rising in the United States as a whole. Uh, and there, it, by all accounts, it, it, it will continue to rise. Do you have... Uh,
1: Right. It seems to be falling in, air, in certain areas where the numbers were high. So New York City and its surroundings are ha- still having diminishing cases, at least the last time I looked at that number, which I think was actually a couple of days ago. Um, so one of the patterns that we're seeing is that initially this uh, viral illness was really common in certain places, typically places that had a lot of international travelers. Um, so we saw New York City, Chicago, uh, Seattle, uh, the, uh, San Francisco, uh, then San Diego, those, and I'm sure I'm missing some. I'm not intending to leave it out. I'm just trying to sort of give examples of cities that are lar- have large populations and uh, a busy international airport and a lot of international community. Um, and then, and I think a lot of us who lived in the Midwest were thinking, Woof, maybe, maybe we'll be spared. Um, but now what we're seeing, and then in Missouri, what we saw was, oh, it was St. Louis and, and meatpacking plants and elder care facilities and prisons. And, um, now what we're seeing is that it's way more dispersed, that actually the numbers, um, the percentage of cases in Missouri, new cases in Missouri that are from the St. Louis area, is declining. So their numbers are, I can can't—I don't want to speak. We're seeing it much more dispersed. And um, Eric Martin, who's been a, Dr. Eric Martin has been a guest on this show, um, was posted on his Facebook page that he's seeing that as well in the Joplin area where he works as a physician. That the people who are requesting tests now, previously um, worked in meatpacking plants or their family members or their household members. And many of those people are recent immigrants. And so they are from other countries and are, have you know, they, he's able to see that that's who they are. And now he says it's mainly, you know, long-term residents and people who are white. So it is, and most people don't know, many people don't know exactly where, their case came from. So they may feel like they were exposed to a particular person, but they're not aware of that person being a meatpacking worker or a nursing home worker or a hospital worker or some other thing. So, and he's seeing this spreading at things like uh, uh, camps and summer schools and high school football practices and churches. Um, And so I think that that a lot of people's sense of reassurance that, well, I don't work in a meatpacking plant, I don't travel to China, I don't live in New York City, maybe this doesn't really relate to me. And I think it's a little bit like presuming that uh, to, there's so many analogies that work a little bit and do not work because this is a non-analogical, whatever you call it, an mm. analogy forming thing. But it's a little bit like saying, well, I live in Rocheport and the uh, right along the river, And the water's not high here yet, and I really don't want to hear what's going on in Omaha Um, because that's not happening to me. And so I'm not going to sandbag when we all know that that water's going to run downstream and we know how the river floods. But I think we have so little experience of what a pandemic looks like that we're all having to to, to decide which expert to trust. So anyway, so this pandemic is behaving sort of like uh, many people predicted, and so it is now much more diffuse. And one of the lovely – I'm paraphrasing the sentiment from Our World in Data, which is a great place to go look at lots of different ma- uh, graphs and charts and such. And it's all free, and you can download it, and you can build on things. It's a, you know open-source uh, uh, system. Um, and they're saying the pandemic will only be controlled anywhere if we control it everywhere, so, um, you know, ignoring what was happening in inner-city St. Louis because it wasn't us was not the wisest thing to do. Um, so one of the interesting things, that happened, so sort of over the over the time that the pandemic has been in the United States, we initially saw this marked increase in uh, daily increases in death rates. And, I mean, in, in case rates. So we, you know, Tuesday, we'd have more cases than we had Monday. A little bit of some sawtooth because uh, things fewer people get tested and few tests, fewer tests get reported on weekends, uh, but pretty much increasing all along. And then um, we saw a downturn, that uh, first the hospitalization and then the daily case numbers went down. And that's mainly because of what New York City and its environs and California were doing. Those are really populated areas they responded very early and pretty drastically, and um, they brought their numbers down. I, you know, associate this was associated in time with a decrease in numbers. I don't want to um, jump to causality, but it looked pretty clear. And then what now? What's happened is that the numbers are increasing nationwide, but they're still falling in some of those areas. So we are seeing that um, that the increases in in other states in the rest of the country, primarily led by Florida, California, Arizona, are driving this increase. But you know, other states like Missouri are you know adding to those numbers as well. And again, we're seeing that same uh, pattern in Missouri. Um, initially, it was in St. Louis, um, and now it's spreading to the rest of the state. And what's interesting, and I'm hearing a lot of people who would like to believe that this is not as serious and we do not need to respond very strongly, saying is, look, but the death rate has not increased. So new onset of death is still pretty low. Daily increases in death are still pretty low. And um, that's true. And it what we know is that's a lagging indicator. That is that the pattern of the illness is like, okay, I got exposed on day one. I usually develop symptoms by day 7 to 14, another week or two before I'm sick enough to be hospitalized, so by day 21 or 28, and then another week or so uh, before we start to see significant increases in death. And, of course, this is not... I'm not guaranteeing anybody that that's what will happen. Some people are dying very suddenly so that we, we can see it a little bit earlier. So we usually see, you know, an event happens, say Memorial Day, and people got together and they had parties. And then two weeks later, we see increases in cases. And then we would expect another week or so we would see increases in deaths. And we haven't seen the increases in deaths as quickly to the increases in cases. And a lot of us are wondering why. And there are a couple of things. Like, I think it's coming. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that this that this virus has become way less lethal and we're just going to not see it. That is not consistent with us seeing increases in um, hospitalization and intensive care unit care. So we're seeing those trends. Um, I can't speak to that locally. The Missouri Hospital Association has not updated their website um, since July 4th, which is really um, – uh, concerning to me i hope that whatever whatever's keeping them from doing that they can fix it right away so what but what we are seeing is that younger people so people in the age group of of you know 15 to 30 are much more likely to be getting this than than our elders so the folks in nursing homes or elder care homes are are still at increased risk of getting this or they are they, are, they They have more severe disease, but they're also a little bit more likely to get infected because it's really hard to control uh, outbreaks in uh, elder care facilities. But um, elders who are living at home, most of them have sequestered themselves, and so their case rate is much lower. And um, uh, it's the young people who, you know, developmentally, they really need to be out amongst their peers. I'm not defending their behavior, but um, I I wish that we would – find some ways for them to be together and socialize there's there's a lot of biology driving that um that wasn't weren't enclosed spaces connected with alcohol with large numbers of people um but they seem to be the ones that are getting it they're also our frontline workers they work in grocery stores and restaurants and um, gas stations and all the places where we need um, people to get the work done um and so they have a statistically a low and getting seriously ill. So that may be why we're not seeing this right away. Um, and the other thing is it's possible that we're just doing a better job of taking care of people and delaying the deaths. We may be reducing the deaths, but we may also be delaying the deaths, which I, I'm not sure is necessarily a great thing for everybody who goes through that, but um, we still have to keep trying. So I don't know why we're starting to see, and maybe starting to see an uptick in deaths in Missouri, the last couple of days, we've had very few, and now the last couple of days we're starting to move into high, single, low, double-digit numbers of increases in deaths. Um, And I am hoping that we aren't going to see that, but I don't think we can count on the fact that, oh, well, since the death rate is still low, we don't need to act. Because if we wait and and respond only to increasing deaths, we will be way behind the ball because we think that's at least a three-week lag.
0: I liked very much uh, what you said about um – well, what all public, what many public health professionals are saying about, well, we have to address this everywhere. Um, This is a virus. This is a pandemic. It will find its way into every nook and cranny. It cannot be compared to any other national disaster, such as a flood, an earthquake, uh, uh, tornadoes, et cetera. Um, You know, we can take ourselves back to the beginning of this pandemic uh, when this first hit and globally everyone sort of shut down. And the phrase that was being proffered at that time that everybody heard was flatten the curve, flatten the curve, right. flatten the curve. We absolutely yep. must flatten the curve. Uh-huh. Um, you see that some countries have flattened their curves. Um, yeah, you know, and some uh,
1: states have flattened their curves. Some
0: states have flattened their curves as well. Um, you know, in, in Germany, it's 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 been a, rel- a relatively flat curve for a long time. We haven't had a, uh, a day since early May in which we've had uh, over a thousand new cases reported. Germany is a federalist constitutional republic, just like in the, uh, the United States. It has uh, 16 separate states, but it's the size of Oregon. You got 83 million people crammed into something the size of Oregon. So I mean, it's a little bit easier to get everybody on the same page. In the states, the curve is nowhere near being flattened because we right. almost do have fifty separate countries, in, right. you know, in a sense, and they're so uh, widely dispersed. So there's so many niches, so many nooks and grannies for this virus to find its way into, and I, no one really escapes it in the end. Uh, it it hits the big metropolitan areas right. first, but it's it's coming here. Uh, it will find its way here eventually. Something that we should should really emphasize. Um, you know, we've been talking about this on this program so many times. I mean, people have, have said, oh, I had a bad cold in, in uh, November, December. I'm sure that was the coronavirus. Highly unlikely. Uh, it wasn't right. here yet. And, uh, it, and
1: it's not that it's impossible that that person had coronavirus um, that early, but it is really unlikely. It is. Again making analogies. is like well. I heard a story once of somebody who Had regular sex and didn't use protection and they didn't get pregnant. So I'm going to count on that as my strategy Um, I think that that's not a great idea.
0: Well, I mean one of the reasons that we we see this uptick in cases though I mean is that obviously when we when we did shut down completely we had very small isolated clusters Uh, but now as we begin to open up there will be more and uh, as you said i hope i'm wrong and and so do i i'm not a soothsayer by trade or, or you know a professional prognosticator or something like this but it, it seems uh i mean even if if one has you know just a uh a, a, a sort of uh, a rigorous autodidactic understanding of the numbers i mean that's that seems to be the direction that we're headed in
1: i think so and um yeah and and i think that yes we do we the states are acting like three separate countries um, in part because of the way our federal government has responded, that the federal government has responded in a way that has left a large um, uh, vacuum for states to to step into to try to figure out their response. And, you know, you can sort of look at that as well. I guess we're going to get a lot of experimentation about how much of a shutdown do we need to do to control numbers. Um, the problem is that, that um, our states don't have uh, uh, borders that we can close. <clears throat> and many, there are large, many large metropolitan areas that are on state lines. So it, it can be really difficult to figure that out. The other thing I wanted to, to talk about, Peter, is that I am hearing people do something with statistics that I don't, that I think gives us some comfort, but I think that is not real. And one of the things I hear people saying is, oh, if so-and-so, if Grandpa Joe gets it, he is just going to die. So we have to keep Grandpa Joe away from everybody. And the truth is that there. Is, and I've heard this also, like, oh, so-and-so's doctor told him, you get this, you're going to die, you have got to do this. And um, there is no group that I've been able to find that has 100% mortality rate, and actually I haven't found a group that has more than 50% mortality rate. So even our elders are in that 15 to 25% mortality rate, which is nothing to scoff at, okay? I am not saying that that doesn't sober me, okay? But it means that even these people that we're saying are high-risk and need protected, they are most likely to survive. And I think that, um, that it's important to not tell ourselves things that aren't true. I also hear a lot of people saying, oh, I am high risk. And then they list a thing that they believe makes them high risk, and I don't like to undermine people's truth and reality, but if they are my patient, I say, can, can we talk about that some? Because while I understand your concern, and yes, I don't think that condition lowers your risk, that is not what we're talking about, especially in the immune-suppressed, category. Many people are saying, well, I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, so that's an autoimmune disorder, so I am immune suppressed, and that means I'm in that high-risk immune suppressed category. And no, when we say immune suppressed, we mean people who have had a liver transplant and are taking immunosuppressant drugs, or people who are undergoing really rigorous chemotherapy. And most of the people I know who are saying that they're very high-risk are not and they they have a condition that really isn't, that's not not what that statistic means. So we have not been including those people in that statistic. The reverse is that I don't hear people thinking about smoking as a serious risk factor. Smoking is such a serious risk factor, we ought to be considering smokers the way we're considering our elders, and we ought to be helping them quit and, and while they aren't quitting, we should be keeping them separate from the rest of people I'm not saying 100%. I'm just saying that we need to be being extra cautious with our smokers because they cannot be, you know, everybody's life is valuable. Everybody's life matters, and we ought to be. The other thing I hear is we can send the kids to school. We can open up the schools because, you know, the kids don't get it, and they don't die from it. And there is no age group that has a 0% risk of getting it, a 0% risk of transmitting it, and a 0% risk of dying from it. So we need to know that some of our young people will get it if we open the schools. The other thing I hear people saying is, well, this illness has the whatever percent uh, fatality rate. And oh my goodness, that number is so variable about like, how do we get to it? So an ideal infection fatality rate would be taking knowing 100 percent of all the people who ever got infected so we would know that number we would not have any false positives we wouldn't have people in that cat we would know for sure that every person in there actually had this infection and that there were no people who had this infection who were not included in that number i don't think we're ever going to get that number and even if we did get it we would all disagree about whether we could really trust it well i
0: mean we'll get and We'll get a more reasonable and, conjecture many, many years from now, <laughs> long after the time underway. goes
1: on. We're, you're right. As time goes on, I think we get closer to that number, um, and then we would need to know all the people who died from it, and you would need to be confident that that COVID-19 was a primary contributor or even a, a big secondary contributor to their cause of death. So they might have had a heart attack needed to be on a ventilator from the heart attack and then their lungs failed because of COVID and they died when we would have thought the heart attack would have been a survivable illness. So we can debate about whether those people should be. But if we had a 100% pure number of the number of people who had died from this infection divided by the 100% pure number of who had had the infection, then we would have an infection fatality rate. And we don't have that number. What we have right now is what we call a case fatality rate. That is number of documented cases, which we know is not 100% of the cases. So people who got sick or people who got tested and got uh, identified, and that is the denominator, and then the numerator is the number of deaths. And that number is going to change as time goes on because deaths lag. So... it just takes a while for the numbers to get big enough for that to be believable. But it is somewhere, the infection, the case fatality rate, which is the one we're working on is varying between five and 10%, which is not the same as the infection fatality rate. And then people are like, why? And the infection fatality rate is probably around 1%, half percent. You can argue about that one. Like if it is, it is in the range of what influenza is, then why are we responding so strongly? And it's because it's a novel virus. And that means 100% of us at the beginning of this were um, likely we were, we're vulnerable to get it. Whereas influenza comes around every year. So it's only 10 to 20% of the population is really vulnerable because the rest of us have uh, antibodies from former years. It's hard to predict who that is, but it only infects a small percentage of the population. So, you know, or 0.1% multiplied by the entire population. Now everybody's not going to get it, but maybe 70% is a really big number. And that is why arguments over what the the infection fatality rate really is um, are not helpful in my estimation. The other thing is that the case fatality rate and the infection fatality rate are going to increase in context. So in Houston, Where their hospitals have been overrun, maybe I'm using a dramatic word, where their hospitals can no longer easily accept new admissions and they are turning uh, ambulances away and there are long waiting times in emergency rooms, like going to move to day's. And basically, the emergency room becomes another intensive care unit, and then what do you do about people who, like, broke their leg in a car accident? It's just a really big problem. Their case fatality rate is going to go up because in that context, you cannot give people the kind of care that we know how to give now. And so we're going to see the case fatality rate go up significantly. So... um, so this is why I think we still need to be working really hard on flattening the curve. We have not overrun any hospitals in Missouri that I know of. I think the hospitals in Joplin are still transferring their sicker patients to Springfield. But according to Dr. Eric Martin, who's on the ground there, they are increasing their capacity and their, the rate of increase of cases in that in that area is um, leveling off a little bit. So they're not increasing quite as rapidly as possible. So these, these are the kinds of things we want to do, is we want to flatten the curve enough so that um, we don't overwhelm the hospitals. And, you know, I did a little number this morning, that, last night, that kind of sobered me, and then I thought, well, at 50 cases a day, how long would it take for Boone County? How long would it take for Boone County to get, for 70% of us to have gotten it, if we don't get a vaccine? It takes 10 years at that rate, Peter. Indeed. Well, I mean... Yeah. It's important
0: the numbers are so so very important. I mean if I were to right. if we had we should be so lucky, you know, say 50 new cases a day and then one you know on Tuesday if we had 50 cases on Tuesday and then 150 on Wednesday. I could write a wonderfully sensationalist headline. I was talking about this at the beginning of the program saying, "Oh my god, with the case rate has risen 300%." Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when the numbers uh-huh. are are that low, um, not only is that uh, somewhat more immaterial, so is the R-naught, so, is, so are all of the other statistics that we're talking about here. Flattening the curve is about ensuring that we have enough hospital space to treat people in waves, so that this wave doesn't come all at once, so that hospitals don't get overwhelmed, right. so that they uh, right. you know, have enough equipment, so they don't get overrun, as you were pointing out. That's why this course of action was taken at the beginning of this pandemic worldwide. That's why we continue to take it uh, worldwide. These things are not without reason. And those who claim that they are, are often uh, uninformed conspiracy theorists. And and something else about the numbers, I I, I notice many people really just don't know how to do percentage division. <laughs> I mean, it's very, very important you know, to move one decimal to... place to the left <laughs> when you're doing yeah. percentage division.
1: Exactly, mm. exactly. So I just wanna say that I, there are, I think there are legitimate reasons, non-conspiracy theorists related to question all of our public policies. And I do not wanna lump everyone who disagrees with uh, public policy as someone who doesn't understand statistics. No, neither do I. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, it's just paying attention to all of these and to looking at more than one statistic at a time. I am so eager to get the wastewater treatment numbers um, next early next month. Um, and hopefully we'll just have this all under control and they'll just be of passing interest and just be academic. But I think that they're going to be central because I think we're going to be still in the
0: thick of it. Oh, that is – I can't wait for that either. That was um, yeah. such a fantastic uh, episode of Your Health Matters with uh, with Mark Johnson. and It was its just great. I mean that – we really – Statistics like that will help us get a better handle on on how this is moving through the populace. Ideally, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope that uh, uh, that they right. will. because it's, an,
1: it's going to be another, another point. Again, it's not the one we're going to hang our hat totally on. Right. So yeah, I. Um, so I do want to remind people that if you have symptoms of COVID nineteen, please stay home. If you would like to be tested, please um, uh, reach out to the health department to uh, muhealth.org uh, online, uh, or uh, call my office four four three seven zero seven zero, or call your own primary care provider. You can also present to an emerg- um an urgent care center. Or um, uh, if you are and if you are sick, and you need emergency room care, please go get that emergency room care. We are doing our best to try to prevent. People who are not, who do not come in, who come in without COVID from getting COVID. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. And so you still, if you're concerned you're having a heart attack or you think you might be having a stroke or you have been injured in a car accident, please still get the care that you would get otherwise. So, yeah, I want to make sure that people know that they can get the care they need.
0: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ollman. As always, it's such a pleasure You're welcome. to speak with you. And I suppose we'll be talking to you next on Thursday. Yes, it'll be Jenny. Thursday? Tomorrow?
1: Yes, tomorrow is Jenny Chadwick hosting. I don't know what she's going to be talking about, but I'm sure that it will be related to policy, and I'm sure it will be enlightening. Absolutely.
0: Well, we'll okay. look forward to hearing you on Your Health Matters uh, this coming, that's tomorrow at six. And we'll speak to you also again on Thursday morning. Thank you so very kindly for tuning in to Community Pulse. And as a friendly reminder about our discussion, do uh, make the statistics and the numbers work for you as an informed local resident. Uh, inform yourself, uh, whichever way, but put in the legwork, put in the homework. We're so glad and so pleased and so proud to be your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station, and we welcome your feedback. We always welcome your feedback about our new program here, Community Pulse, about programming on KOPN. Please give us a call at 573-874-1139 or email gm at kopn.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, all the usual channels, and you can catch Community Pulse uh, as a podcast on Spotify and Apple. We want your comments we want your insights we want to keep this discussion going that is what community radio is for we'll catch you tomorrow do stay safe and stay informed columbia an abridged version of background briefing follows